0: Welcome to Brighton Road, welcome to those of you joining us online. My name is Tim Carter, David Bookersham is going to be speaking to us later on in the service. We have our prayer ministry team in operation uh, after the service. If you'd like prayer for yourself or someone you know, a member of the prayer ministry team will be available at the front after the service, please come forward. Simply share your need, they will stand with you before God and pray briefly, either quietly or, or silently. So if you want to avail yourself of prayer ministry after the service, please come forward and someone will be available to pray with you. Our call to worship is taken from Psalm 66. Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. And all the earth includes us, here this morning, you at home. So we join together in singing. Let all the world, in every corner, sing, My God and King. seated. We're going to use Psalm 145 as part of our worship. It's a responsive reading. We encourage each other to worship. I say the words in white, you respond uh, by saying the words in yellow. And we build each other up in the worship of God as we say the words of Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and, and i will, will meditate, meditate on, on your wonderful works. works they will tell of the power of your awesome works and, and I, will I will proclaim, proclaim your great deeds they will celebrate your abundance and the of your righteousness the lord is gracious and compassionate, both anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. Your kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Let your mouth speak in praise of the name of the Lord. Let's stand and sing, Lord, I come before your throne of grace. Down. The Lord reigns forevermore. He reigns in heaven. We know that. We take it for granted. Do we see Him reigning on earth? Do we see Him reigning in this country? In this church? In your home? In your heart? Let's ask God to bring His kingdom, His reign into every part of this world and every part of our lives. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. And part of that prayer is, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Let's pray that God's reign would be shown everywhere that we look and that we would demonstrate it in who we are and how we live. So we we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, for those of us who stay here, when we celebrate and recognise your reign in this room. And as youngsters go to BRBK, may they recognise and celebrate your reign upstairs. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. And if you're going to BRBK, now's the time for you to go. God bless you. Have a great time. And can we have the prayer that was on at the beginning, up on the screen, please? Just, just look at this. If you stay in, look at these words again. The prayer that was up before the service started. This is what God is really like. This is the real God. This is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we think, well, God doesn't really love me, or has God turned his back, or has he distanced himself? God does not do that. The Lord we worship, the Lord we belong to, is gracious, compassionate, loving, just, holy, awesome, wise and good. This is your God. Your God forever. This is the God who is real. And on the basis of who God is, put your trust in Him and worship Him. So let's say this prayer prayer together. Let's remind us of the reality of what God is really like. Lord, you are gracious and compassionate, loving and just in all your ways. We give you praise for all that you are, holy and awesome, wise and good, our God forever. We worship you today and always. Amen. This is your God forever, every single day, without change, without fail. This is our God and we worship him. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But we worship the true and living God this morning. Let's stand and sing this together. Lord, you've sent the Spirit of your Son into our hearts so that we cry, Abba, Father, Dad. And may your Spirit witness with our spirit that we are your beloved children. And as you fill our hearts full of your love, you fill our hearts as well full of thanksgiving your love. Because you're not a father who's distant, you are close. You're caring, forgiving, faithful. And what a privilege it is that we can talk freely and openly to you, the creator of the world. And Lord, you know that like any children, we can be selfish, lazy, and foolish sometimes. But thank you that when we turn and ask for your forgiveness, you are quick, eager to forgive and restore. And thank you that you deal with us in accordance with your steadfast love, not in accordance with our waywardness. You stand alongside us. You protect us. You provide for us. You guard us. When we ask for guidance, you you lovingly answer our prayers. When we come to a crossroads or have... Important decisions to make you take time to listen to us. You help us choose the right path. You know us better than we know ourselves. And you love us more than we love ourselves. And you love it when we open our hearts to you. Pour your healing this morning into our lives, we pray. Pour your healing into the Ukraine. Pour your healing into the lives of all those affected by the massacre at the nursery in Thailand. All those affected by the tragedy at the petrol station this week. Pour your healing into those who are in hospital, awaiting surgery or recovering from surgery or awaiting diagnosis and treatment. Pour your healing into the lives of those who have been bereaved. Or those who are just exhausted. Or fearful. Show your faithfulness to those who cannot see the way forward. A way of getting through the winter. For those who find they haven't got... The financial resources they they feel they need to live on. Provide for them and give them the emotional resources they need to cope. You give wisdom to those who lack it. Would you give wisdom to our government? We pray. Would you give strength to those who are weak or weary? Courage to those who are afraid. Enable us to base our own lives on your unfailing love to us and to others. And with your help, enable us to live lives that are worthy of you, that reflect your goodness. May our conversations be seasoned with salt enable us to, to say to others what you would have us say to them. Words that will help, encourage, build up. As you've been generous to us, enable us to be generous in turn, giving to you and to others. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you care what happens to us. And we bless you for sending your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ, to live for us, to teach us, to show us how we should live, to show us who you are, and to give up his life for our sins in dying the cruel and humiliating death on the cross. But bless you, Lord, that we worship a risen Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lives every day and prays for us every day. And thank you, Father, again for your Holy Spirit who makes our relationship with you real and life-giving and life changing so Father Son, Holy Spirit we worship you we love you we trust you we give our lives back to you in Jesus name Amen my future hangs on this Let's stand and sing this together. We worship God, not because we're brilliant, but because he's brilliant. He's fantastic. And he's worthy of our praise. Let's stand and sing this together. is going to come and bring our reading to us.
1: Our reading today is from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master! was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. I need
0: it. (laughs) Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it reveals to us of Jesus. Thank you for David. May your spirit rest upon him as he speaks to us and make yourself known to us through his words. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Good morning. So, this morning we're going to be looking at those verses that Anne just read to us. And I'm going to be actually looking to dive into a few verses or a few words and, and actually just pick over them a little. But before I do, I think it's absolutely crucial that we don't miss the bigger picture. This is yet another example where Jesus in his ministry showed the most astonishing understanding, his love, compassion, care, wisdom, power, and authority. There was no situation that ever arose that Jesus couldn't handle. And we were most jealous, aren't we, of those disciples, or even the hangers-on, those that just stuck with the crowd at the edges, just to see what was going to happen next. Because here again, Jesus was on his way. He was on a journey. He was going to Jerusalem. And an unplanned event took place. Suddenly we discover that there are ten people. Outcasts. A small leper colony. And they're crying out to him. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Leprosy was a merciless disease. It picked people off at randomly male, female, young, old, rich, poor. We know very little about these ten people. We know no detail. So leprosy would have randomly picked them from society, and they'd have had to have been set aside, outcast separated from friends and loved ones. Apart from their disease, there was only one thing that united them. They all believed that that with this passing miracle, Jesus, that perhaps he could turn their fortunes around. And of course, he did. It was in the law of Moses that if symptoms of leprosy to recede or indeed disappear, an extraordinary event, but it did happen, I guess, um, you couldn't be restored to your family and friends or be reinstated in society unless first you had gone to the priests. It's all set out in Leviticus 14. There's quite a lot of ceremonial that went along with it. But either way you had to present yourself to the priests to be examined and they would check out whether indeed you were truly delivered and so it was that Jesus gave them instruction go to see the priests they went off at the moment the instruction was given they still had leprosy But as they made their journey, they looked at themselves and discovered that they were healed. They were delivered. If this story ended there, it would have been remarkable enough. Another example of how Jesus could reach into the lives of people and restore them. His power, his authority. but something singles out one from the crowd the, the the 10 one a samaritan returns he casts himself at jesus feet he's pouring out praise to god and he's thanking jesus it adds another dimension entirely to what we find in this passage Firstly, I think it's worth just revising a little of what a Samaritan meant. Now, this is where you all have to grip your chair, because I'm going to actually take you back to Sunday school, and I'm going to remind you of a few bits and pieces about Bible history. You may remember that following Solomon, the children of Israel were divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, Israel. The southern kingdom was Judah, and you all know that they actually failed to keep God's law. The time passed and they failed to make amends and they went into exile. Both kingdoms taken away to Assyria and to Babylon. Later, under Ezra and Nehemiah, children of Israel returned to Jerusalem to re-establish The temple on the Temple Mount, and indeed the Jews reassembled into their promised land. Now, the point is this that actually there were children of Israel who didn't go into exile. They were typically from the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, they lived in Samaria, which was the capital city of the northern kingdom and they remained in the area round about. These were children of Israel, kinsmen of the Jews, but they had remained in place throughout the exile. It's when the Jews returned that tensions developed. First of all, the Jews accused the Samaritans of intermarrying. They claimed that during the exile period they'd appeased the Um, those that were were over them Um, and that they had indeed resorted to things like idol worship and so on so there was all sorts of mudslinging going on between the Jews and the Samaritans fundamentally there was a major difference that the Jews believed that the only place to worship God was on the Temple Mount in Mount Zion in Jerusalem, in the temple. The Samaritans were adamant that the only place to worship God was on Mount Gerizim. Now the important thing is this. Jesus wasn't interested. We know that when he went to see the woman at the well of Samaria, he explained to her, he knew, that actually the temple in Jerusalem was obsolete. It was finished. Not one stone was to be laid upon another. All would be cast down. And he shared with her that the day was coming when people wouldn't worship God either in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerizim. They would worship him in spirit and in truth. And so it is that Jesus declared that distinction obsolete. And of course it's here that we actually see something of the outworking of what Jesus had predicted. A Samaritan running to Jesus, casting himself at the feet of Jesus, pouring out his thanks and worshipping God in spirit and in truth. Jesus was naturally inclusive. He didn't distinguish people between people according to their traditions. Now, on the face of it, we could take the view that we got no complaint on the part of the nine. After all, they had faith. They asked Jesus for healing. Jesus told them to go to the priests. They found on the journey that they were healed. Job done. That's fine, isn't it? But what singles out the Samaritan is more profound. And it's words used in the text that spell it out. I think it's a situation where, once again, our translations sometimes let us a little bit down. So if I just point out, in verse 14 that I read, it says, When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, the Greek word that Luke uses for cleansing is quite specific. It's something a bit like ritual, a ritual cleansing. It alludes to that Luke 14 requirement, the cleansing. In verse 15, we read of something quite different. One of them, when he saw he was healed... back. That's a different word. Luke was a physician and Luke is using a word that actually has to do with a medical healing. It's to do with health. So we've got cleansing, we've got health, a healthy body, but finally we have another word. After the Samaritan has come back and worshipped Jesus at his feet, Jesus said, dismissed him with the words, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And that's a third word, it's quite different. It's a word that is used for deliverance. It's a word that is used in the context of God delivering someone from the power of sin. So the fundamental difference between the Samaritan and the Nine was that the Nine got exactly what they asked for. It was healing. It was skin Deep, literally skin deep. The Samaritan received salvation. Something worked deeply within his soul. It was working at a different level. And it was that, it was out of his salvation. That he raced back, praising God and thanking Jesus. What do we make of all this? What does it mean to us? It's just another remarkable example of Jesus' healing. Healing 10. I think actually there is a lesson here to be learned about inclusivity and diversity. Jesus was extraordinary, wasn't he? He reached out to those who were outcasts, lepers, at the margins of society. He embraced them, he cared for them, and he loved them. But equally, he he'd had no part in this bickering between Samaritans and Jews. As far as he was concerned, it was absurd. It was an obsolete piece. And he had declared that all of those who know God will worship him in spirit and in truth. So I think that in a way, we're spoiled a little bit. We think of Samaritans as those lovely people who spend time graciously listening to people in need. So it's a, it's a good thing, isn't it, to be a Samaritan? And we think of Samaritan purse, which has to do with toys being put in shoeboxes for children at Christmas. But at the time, for the people who witnessed that the one person who came back to praising God was a samaritan would have been a shock there was shock factor i was brought up in quite a di- in quite a exclusive denomination we didn't think much of the general baptists there were all sorts of things wrong with their doctrines we of course were the only group that actually had all our doctrines right and as for those people in the orthodoxies well of course they were completely beyond the pale but over the years of course i've learned to discover i've discovered that indeed god's spirit is in all those who cry jesus is lord And picking over doctrines doesn't make a lot of sense when, in in fact, you're failing to do even the fundamentals of what Jesus asks. I dare to share this with you. Um, In that work, I used to, from time to time, discuss the faith. And I was shocked to discover that the two that I loved discussing the faith with would actually come to me. I wouldn't be putting putting it on them. They come to me. One was a Sunni Muslim, um, and the other was a Sikh. And we used to have long and lengthy discussions about the faith, and they would test me about my faith in Jesus. But it was a remarkable thing, and for me, it was a learning piece. I think to then I would have this dreadful. Tendency to just apply this template this person is Muslim, this person is Sikh this person is Hindu I came to know them well and I was astonished when to discover so much that I shared with them in terms of values I'd be reminded perhaps of how Jesus responded to the centurion My theory, by the way, just I, I know I'm digressing, forgive me for a moment, but that, that centurion bit, you know that the centurion didn't want, didn't like the idea of Jesus actually coming to his home. Um, I, I don't I don't say this with authority, but you know, I've always had this suspicion that it's because actually the centurion, although he was very sympathetic to the to Judaism and supportive, and indeed called out to Jesus to come and heal his servant. Of course, his home must have had a shrine to Mars. It was inevitable. He was a Roman centurion. And I'm sure that there were all sorts of little altars around his home with votive offerings on, because that's what centurion that a Roman would have done. That's how they lived. But Jesus didn't shame him. He didn't look to actually point out to the Jews that this man is in idolatry, what Jesus perceived was that this was a man of faith, and I'm left, if you like, thinking of my dear friend, a Sunni Muslim and another one a Sikh, and I remember some of the things they said, and it's as though I'm hearing over my shoulder Jesus saying, these people are not far from the Kingdom of Heaven. I won't go on further because it's another theme and it's another sermon for another occasion. But I think it has to be said that as we consider these verses we can't miss, we shouldn't miss the inclusivity issue, the embracing, if you like, that went on with outcast group and equally with a time, with a a group, the time was seen, the Samaritans seemed to be absolutely beyond the pale. What other things do we take from this? You and I will never get leprosy, but aren't there times now when we actually feel like crying out? Jesus, Master, have pity on us. One almost is loath to actually turn on the news. So much going on. Dreadful. War. War crimes. Iran, Afghanistan. The economic crisis, political turmoil—it goes on and on, doesn't it? Don't you find yourself like me, crying out, "Have pity on us!" And let's face it: for all of us, the only peace of mind that we really find is that peace of Christ, which passes understanding. We need to find time in these difficult times, time to get aside, to seek the face of Jesus. Jesus was good for all situations, every circumstance, every situation he encountered. He had wisdom, power and authority to meet. And now more than ever, I believe, we need to seek his face know his wisdom, his love, his compassion, and his support. Another little thing, I'm coming to the end. You know there's a bit here that I actually found myself laughing over. I don't know if I should, I do actually see humor in Scripture sometimes, and I do find myself giggling. It's the extraordinary picture of Jesus dismissing these ten, going to go and seek out the priests. And you somehow sort of see them shuffling off, trying to figure out now where's the synagogue? Now, where are the priests? And they're looking around. Did they not realize that they'd just been in the presence of the Almighty God's High Priest? The everlasting priest, Jesus. Take a look sometime at Hebrews 7 and 8. Jesus was ordained our high priest before the foundation of the world, in the order of Melchizedek. His ordination was with God's vow that his priesthood would endure forever. So as they shuffled off to find a priest, they'd missed the fact that the real priest was behind them. (laughs) The day will come when you and I will see him face to face. Jesus wasn't like other priests. He didn't need to offer two sacrifices. One for his own sin, as the priests did, and then the second sacrifice for the sins of the people that they were guardians of. Jesus offered one sacrifice because he was perfect. And upon a cross, he offered up himself as a sacrifice for you and me. And the day will come when you and I will look upon him, our one priest. He won't send us off to find other priests. He'll look upon us and through the salvation in his blood, he will graciously declare that we are spotless and without blemish. Finally, of course, it's in the Samaritan that we're taught the place of praise and worship. The nine didn't return to give that praise and worship because their healing was skin deep. But you and I who share the spirit of Christ, with which we cry out that Jesus is Lord, Our true calling is indeed to praise God from our hearts, from deep within our souls. And I leave you with the words of Paul to the Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen.
0: Bless you David, thank you. Let's take a moment just to reflect on those words and how they apply to our lives. Lord, you've placed your spirit within us so whatever direction we've been heading in we turn back with hearts of praise and thanksgiving to worship you for the salvation that you've given to us. We bless you. Amen. Stand and sing our closing hymn, O Praise Ye. The Lord. the fellowship of the Holy Spirit.